Uh, well, friends, it's uh, very good to be with you today. Uh, I can't remember how many years it's been since I preached here last time, but I have preached here before, and uh, so it's, it's really good to be back with you. But how about we start in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, who is your son. Thank you for the word of the gospel that points us toward him. And thank you for the scriptures that tell us about him. And we pray today that as we look at this passage of scripture, you'd help us understand it, and understanding it, that you'd be at work in us uh, by your spirit to make us obedient and to help us live in a way that pleases you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, as I said, it's very good to be with you today. We have now been away from home in Australia for about two months, and we've still got a month to go. We have this wonderful thing in Australia called long service leave, where if you've been with an organisation for a while, you can take 10 weeks uh, annual, uh, 10 weeks long service leave. So we're on that. And uh, we've been living out of suitcases now for two months. Uh, we have visited eight countries. We've had countless wonderful experiences. Uh, however, I want to tell you about one particular experience that we had. One of the highlights of our time away was we visited Peru and walked the Inca Trail to a place called Machu Picchu. And uh, it was a marvellous experience, although hiking at altitude wasn't very good fun. Um, but uh, the incident I want to tell you about happened after that walk. Uh, we were in Peru and we had to travel from a place called Cusco to the capital of Peru, a place called Lima. And from there, we would journey on to Argentina to visit some friends. Anyway, we arrived at Lima Airport. And technically speaking, we didn't have to go through customs. We could just go in transit. Um, but uh, we were given indications and advice by someone that uh, actually the best way to go was through here. And we found that we were walking out of the airport. So we had to get back into the airport to catch our next flight, which was on to Argentina. Uh, eventually, we found our way back in, but our little detour meant that we had limited time, and uh, some of that time had to be taken up by passing through security again, and people, as you know these days, are very rigorous about security, and now let me tell you that the, the security scanning system in Lima is very, very rigorous. Um, so every time I went through the scanners, the lights went off, you know, on those scanners, and uh, I had to go back through. And they kept taking items off me that I couldn't wear as I walked through the scanner. So shoes, glasses, my pen, my belt, and finally, my wallet. Uh, however, eventually, they let me through. And uh, I was now pretty flustered because I was running out of time, or Heather and I were running out of time. Heather was patiently waiting for me. Um, however, I picked up all of my gear, and I redressed and I went through the doors into international departures and began to calm down a little bit. And I said to Heather, all right, you wander through the shops here. I'll go and sort out a couple of things and we'll be okay. We had about 40 minutes before departure time. Heather, decided, Heather, as I said, had decided to look through one of the stores. I wandered off to do something else. And then I heard it. My name was announced publicly. And I was to report to the airline desk. Now, as it turned out, it was only to make sure that our visas were okay for Argentina. But as soon as I heard my name announced over the whole airport, I thought, oh no, I've left my wallet back in security. <laughs> and uh, uh, it had my cash, 
It had all my credit cards for our three months away. It had things like my Australian driver's license. At least I had my passports. But remember, I'm in Lima in Peru at this particular time. And Peru is a Spanish-speaking country. And I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) And uh, so I had to find someone to whom I could explain that my wallet was on the other side of security. And it was through glass doors that I couldn't get back through. Uh, and I had limited time to do it. And I had an air, airline I was booked on. Let me tell you that over the next 30 minutes, I experienced one of the most difficult times in our whole trip. Um, I felt a tiny taste of what my missionary friends experience when they arrive in a foreign country. Uh, language and lack of language creates enormous barriers, doesn't it? And you would all have experienced this if you've travelled. You go to a country that doesn't speak your language and you feel isolated, you feel disoriented, you feel as though you don't know what's going on and you can't communicate what you want to say to people. And language cuts you off from other people, doesn't it? It isolates and separates. And that is part of the problem that Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You see, church is about relationships, isn't it? Um, and speaking in tongues was creating problems in relationships in the Corinthian church. And so Paul needs to spend a whole chapter, actually mostly just half a chapter, on the topic of speaking in tongues. And today I'm going to briefly explain this chapter, or half of this chapter. And I'm going to help us see what I think Paul is saying to us today as well. So uh, come with me as we explore this topic in your Bibles. We've got lots to learn. And what we learn is going to help us personally, but much more importantly than that, it's going to help us in our life together in church. Uh, and so let's get started. By the way, um, before we start, I should tell you the outcome of my story because you're all wondering how it finished. <laughs> <laughs> I did get my wallet back. With all my contents intact, and I had five minutes to spare to go from where the man was who finally found it for me, up and up to the exit gate, I ran to the plane as fast as I could. And uh, we were the last passengers to board, and it took us most of our trip to Argentina, which is about four or five, six hours for us to recover. But we made it. I knew you were going to think about that for the rest of the sermon, so I thought I'd better tell you the answer. <laughs> Let's get back to our topic. Open your Bibles, please, at 1 Corinthians 14. Now, we need to just address some preliminaries. First of all, I need to define what it means to speak in tongues. There are two places in the New Testament where this language is used. You might remember the first one. The first day is on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is given, and the people in the upper room begin to speak in other tongues. They speak of the great deeds that God has done in such a way that through the Spirit, the people listening to them hear them speak in their own language. In 1 Corinthians, the Spirit causes a person to speak in a tongue that is only intelligible to God. This is a different thing. Can you hear what I'm saying? I think the speaking in tongues in Acts 2 is different from speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. Both come from the Spirit, 
However, they are different and they have different purposes. In Acts, people are speaking so people might understand the gospel. But in 1 Corinthians, it's quite different. It's people speaking in a prayer to God. Let me, I'll show you as we go on. Um, in 1 Corinthians, we are dealing with a real language, not a, lo- non- lo- a nonsense language. It can be interpreted. Therefore, in 1 Corinthians 14, the language being spoken is a functional language. But it's, it's not babble. It's not meaningless syllables just connected together. It, and the next thing is, it's a language that is addressed to God rather than humans. You see, in Acts 2, you're addressing humans. In 1 Corinthians 14, you're addressing God. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. Paul says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. That makes it different from Acts 2. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. What I think this means is that tongue is, tongues is not a normal human language here. It's a language of prayer. It's a language for communicating with God. A language that functions like any other normal language, even though it's reserved for speaking with God. I don't think that it's a miraculous ability to speak in known languages. I think it's an ability granted by God through the Spirit to speak to God. The third thing about tongues is it doesn't appear to be done with your rational mind engaged. Um, Look at verse 14. Paul says, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, that doesn't mean that the language is irrational. It does mean that the person, doesn't mean that the person's out of control. There's no sense in which the person speaking in tongues is in some sort of ecstatic trance. One more thing to say about tongues is it seems to have been a gift that was put really high on the list of gifts by the Corinthians. They thought speaking in tongues was one of the greatest things you could have. You can understand that, can't you? Imagine you have this gift of speaking in tongues, a real language, a language designed to address God rather than humans, a language of prayer, a special a special language from God for God. It would make you really important if you had, feel really important if you had this language, wouldn't it? You'd think, I've got something really special. I've got something that perhaps others don't have. It might make you feel more important than others. It might make you want to exercise it in public as much as you could to show people how good you were, or not how good you were, but how gifted you were. It may may want you to show how exalted and important you were in public. But some of you will be asking if First Corinthians speaking in tongues still exists today. Some of you might be saying, well, does this gift still exist in the church today? Well, in my view, there's no reason why it shouldn't exist in the church today. I can't see anything in the New Testament that would say that it shouldn't exist today. In fact, I can't see anything in the New Testament that would indicate that all the gifts of the Spirit shouldn't exist today. So, no reason why it shouldn't. But that's God's business as to whether it does or not. Okay? Now, now we've done all the groundwork, so let's go back to this text. Now, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 14. 
and see what God has to say to us through the Corinthians and through Paul. Now, I can't go into all the detail because we don't have time, but I want to tell you what I think the passage means. So let's have a look. First, let's make sure we understand the context. If we don't understand the context, we won't understand what Paul is saying. And the context is this. What is Paul talking to his Christian congregation about? He's talking about what happens in meetings. He's talking about church, about meeting together with God's people, just like we're doing now. He even has in mind that there may be unbelievers that are present as well in church. But there's more. From chapter 12, Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts. And he's listed the gifts in chapter 12. And he's explained that in church, in a church, there are varieties of gifts that exist within congregations. The greatest gift, he says, is prophecy. But but chapter 13 uh, begins and ends with a reference to gifts. However, what's the heart of chapter 13? We read it together. What's the heart of chapter 13? There's something even greater than prophecy. And any other gift you might have, even if it's the tongues of men and of angels. And what is that? Love. Love is the most important thing in meeting together in a Christian church. Not that you speak in tongues. Not that even you have the greatest gift of prophecy. But that you love each other. The heart of chapter 13 is that wonderful and memorable statement about love. Love is the key to proper use of spiritual gifts, just as it's the key to the Christian life itself. Because our existence as Christians is formed by Christ who loved us. And we are to love as we have been loved. And that's very important for the discussion of all gifts, but particularly the gift of tongues. Let's now have a look at the first few verses, chapter 14. You'll notice immediately Paul is talking about two particular gifts, tongues and prophecy. And we've already defined tongues. Now we need to define what's meant by prophecy. The most basic definition of prophecy is this, declaring God's will to God's people. Declaring God's will to God's people. Let me say it. Again, just to make sure we've got it right, prophecy is speaking God's word, God's will to God's people. That can mean declaring God's eternal plan of salvation in Jesus, or it can mean, so declaring the gospel, or it can also mean declaring God's specific will for a Christian community or even for an individual. Every now and then, you know, Andrew or one of your preachers might say, I think that because of this passage, God is telling us we ought to be doing this as a congregation. Or you might have people even say that to you individually. In some senses, I think that is prophetic. So, sometimes it could be about the future, sometimes it could be about now. It doesn't always have to be about the future. We sometimes think that prophecy is about declaring the future. I don't think that's necessarily so. Um, Anyway, Prophecy is therefore where God applies to a congregation or to an individual his eternal will in a specific situation. Someone might be need to be told to repent. Or a congregation might need to be given some specific advice about what will honour God in their situation. Or an individual or a congregation might need encouragement or comfort or challenge. What's the ultimate goal of prophecy? It is to bring God's word to an individual 
or a group in a way that will drive them to return to God and to honour and glorify Him in their situation. The gift of prophecy is not a gift, let me tell you, that's restricted to pastors or teachers. It's a gift that's available in God's church all the time. Joel and Acts 2 indicate that prophecy is given to people throughout Christian communities. When the Spirit's poured out, it comes to men and women, young and old, slaves and free, and they prophesy. That's what Joel says. And potentially it might even come to you and me. That is, he, the Holy Spirit, might come to you and me so that we do prophesy. This this sort of prophecy doesn't have the same sort of status um, as declaring the gospel. It doesn't have the same sort of authority as scripture. But it needs to be judged and tested, weighed and sifted. Okay, let's have a look at verses 1 to 5 more closely. We've defined prophecy and speaking in tongues. Let's see what Paul has to say. In these verses, Paul shows what really matters in Christian meetings. What really matters is the way of love, chapter 13. In the light of this, although Christians should desire the gifts of the Spirit, the weight should fall on prophecy. If you're wanting a gift, ask God for the gift of prophecy. And then Paul explains why. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says that when a person speaks in a tongue, it's not directed to other people, but it's directed toward God. In fact, other people are excluded when you speak in tongues because it's just you and God. It's between you and God alone. But Paul compares that to prophecy. Look at verse 3. When a person prophesies, they speak not to God, but to the people around them. In other words, they, they speak to others to strengthen and encourage and comfort them. Now look at verse 5. On the basis of what Paul says, prophecy is a greater gift. Why? Because it doesn't just edify me as I speak to God, or you as you speak to God, but because it edifies multiple people, because you are told about what God wants you to do. I think Paul, what Paul says is this is far more loving as a way to go. Using a gift that has potential to reach everyone gathered is a far more loving deed, isn't it, than using a gift that only has one benefit. You. Does that make sense? So gift of tongues benefits you. Gift of prophecy benefits everyone who hears. So which is a greater gift? The greater gift is the one that loves more people. It's It's the gift that benefits more people. It's not a bad thing to be built up as an individual, but it's a much greater thing when gathered together to build up the rest of the body of Christ. Speaking in tongues is addressed to God and edifies the speaker. Prophecy is addressed to the people of God and has potential to edify everyone. Paul then illustrates this by by, uh, speaking about music and language. Have a look at verses 6 to 12. In verse 6, Paul indicates that he himself is a tongue speaker. In verse 7, he talks about musical instruments. And first he talks about instruments that make sounds, but which rely on the musician to change the notes. Have you ever heard anyone, just a a child, playing a musical instrument for the first time? It's awful, isn't it? (laughs) 
because it goes nowhere and it does nothing. It's good for them to gradually learn. But when someone can turn those notes into something that flows and is musical, it's it's wonderful, isn't it? And that's what Paul is saying here. Speaking in tongues without it being interpreted is like playing an instrument as a child. It has no tune. It goes nowhere. It carries no meaning except for the one person. As verse 9 says, it's just like speaking into the air. In verse 10, Paul changes his illustration and he talks about foreign languages. And all foreign languages have meaning. However, if they are spoken and cannot be understood, then no communication has occurred. So here am I, standing, talking to a man at a security gate who cannot understand English, and he speaks to me in Spanish, and he cannot understand and I cannot understand his Spanish. The conversation's going nowhere. So in the end, we start pointing at things and trying to interpret for each other what is being meant. You see, the listener and the speaker are like foreigners if the language cannot be understood. In verse 12, Paul makes the point of both illustrations clear. Have a look at verse 12. If you are eager for gifts of the Spirit then be eager for ones that build up the whole body of Christ. In other, And in verses 12 to 19, he explains his point. In other words, he explains further how people can seek those gifts that will provide the greatest edification for the church. If you're a tongue speaker, you'll pray for the gift of interpretation so that you can use your private conversation to edify others. In private, you might continue to pray and sing in the spirit with your tongue, says Paul. However, in church, you will work and engage in your under, the understanding of others that will help others to be edified. As a result, people will be able to understand and say amen to what is being said. And that will edify everyone. Now look at verse 18. Paul is a person who speaks in tongues. We've heard that earlier on. But in church, he focuses on speaking known words with known meaning. Why? Because this will instruct people and build them up. It doesn't just build up Paul. In church, building up everyone is what matters. And that's what God wants in church. And that's what every Christian should want about church. Let's look at the last six verses for today, verses 20 to 25. Uh, In verse 20, Paul urges his people to think straight, to think like adults rather than children. Friends, uh, everyone here who has raised children knows that children have a great ability, uh, uh, sorry, have great difficulty thinking from any perspective other than their own. Do you know what I mean? You get a child, they can't think of anyone's perspective other than their own. It's a learnt thing to think about someone else's perspective. Uh, They're at the centre of their world, aren't they, children? And it's hard to get them to think about others. Just watch them playing and you'll see who's at the centre of a child's world. It is them. Well, here Paul wants the Corinthians to stop thinking like children. I think part of what he's saying is stop thinking as though you're the centre of your world. And then he treats, he wants them to be adults and then he treats them as adults in verse 21. Verse 21 is a quotation from the book of Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 28. 
Now, for most of us reading Isaiah 28, we would think it's a strange passage to go to. Let me tell you, it is quite strange. In Isaiah 28, God says that his displeasure with his unbelieving Israel will be expressed by him sending them people who speak to them in an unknown tongue. They will speak in a babbling tongue that Israelites won't understand. And that babbling tongue won't persuade them to turn back to him. However, the fact that God has had to address them through babbling pagans will be a sign of just how far from God Israel has gone. Now look at what Paul says in verse 22. On the base of Isaiah 28, he says, Tongues are therefore not a sign for believers. Those who have heard God speak and lined up with God don't need to be addressed in tongues because they've heard the gospel. I think that's what's being meant. Being addressed this way is a sign of God's displeasure, just as it was to Israel. Now look at verse 23. Paul imagines a situation where a whole church is gathered, imagine just like us now, and everyone is speaking in tongues. Perhaps some of you have been to churches where that occurs. I have. Everyone speaks in tongues. I have no idea what is going on. And uh, um, imagine you're an outsider, a non-Christian, and everyone suddenly starts speaking in tongues. Have you ever been, seen a non-Christian in that context? They find it weird almost offensive. They will think Christians are a bit out of their minds. Um, They will think that they're just a crazy cult like many others that existed in the ancient world at that particular time. No matter what the effect, the effect on an outsider will not be positive, will it? They won't say, right, I believe in Christ as a result of all of this babbling. They won't, will they? Because there's been nothing communicated to them. What will be positive? So the point is that whatever way you look at it, tongue speaking in church is not positive. It's not positive for the Christians gathered because they can't understand what's going on. It's not positive for the non-Christians gathered because they've got no idea what's going on. They might think you're crazy. What, what will be positive for everyone will be what? understandable speech. Look at verse 24. Paul says, But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they'll be convinced of sin and will be brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Can you hear what Paul is saying? He's saying that no matter whether Christians or non-Christians are present, prophecy is a winner over tongues. Does that make sense? No matter whether Christians or non-Christians are present, prophecy is a winner over tongues. Then in verse 26, he moves away from the question of tongues and prophecy and talks about order in the church. But I want to wrap this up. I hope you've got a feel for what Paul's saying. Uh, I think tongues is a very important gift given by God for his people. But in church, prophecy, speaking clear words, understandable words, is a winner. 
It is what is most important. So, you can see that this is the major passage in the New Testament about speaking in tongues. But basically, Paul is saying speaking in tongues is a non-issue in relation to church. Speaking in tongues, I think he's saying, doesn't really belong in church. It belongs to the individual. It doesn't belong in church because church is about, unless it's interpreted, then it does belong in church. It doesn't belong in church because church is about two things, isn't it? Church is about building up the body of Christ. And church is also a place where non-Christians might be challenged by the gospel, convicted and hopefully converted. And tongues uninterpreted doesn't help with either of those things. So it doesn't help in church. So it ought not to be practiced in church, says Paul, without an interpretation. Tongues doesn't belong in church unless it's interpreted into words that can be understood. There's a great principle here, isn't there? You see, so often we come to church, don't we, with our own agendas and preferences. Every one of you here today probably has some preferences about what should happen in church. We want our own needs met, uh, our own needs met, don't we? Uh, we want church to be satisfactory for us. We want it to be full of the things that work for me. Paul thinks that sort of thinking is not adult thinking. It's childish. It's about us being at the centre, like a child. No, we must come to church thinking of others as being more important than ourselves. We must come to church thinking that that is what must happen. Of those who don't, who come not knowing Jesus, of others who do know Jesus, we should think about what's going to work for them. So the first question is this. What will edify others today? Edification is central. And others are central. Second question is this. What will be intelligible to everyone gathered? You see, the gospel is apprehended in words. So we must be clear, mustn't we, that intelligible, clear and faithful words and true speech is the centre of our meetings. This will work best for Christians, and it will be best work best for those who are not Christians. Friends, I do need to emphasise this. You see, we Christians are very concerned about church, and sometimes we get a little bit precious about church. That's not the way of love. We want our own needs met. That is not the way of love. The way of love is other person-centred. Remember what 1 Corinthians 13 said? The way of love is patient and kind and not envious and not boasting, not proud, not dishonouring of others, not self-seeking, not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. It is other person-centred. It concentrates on what will help others grow in their knowledge and love of Jesus. And this is the mark of those who love Jesus and who have been loved by Jesus. And those who love Jesus will work at church working for others. Most importantly, they'll work at church being edifying for others by being intelligible and by making sure that people know and understand the gospel of our great and glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be focused on this rather than our own needs. Friends, perhaps there are, you came here 
wanting to hear a sermon on speaking in tongues. Instead, you get a sermon on loving others. But you know, I make no apology for this. And I think the Apostle Paul would like it. Because that's what he put at the centre of his discussion of gifts. Loving one another. You see, that is what God wants of his church more than all else. If we go home from this meeting today, having heard from God and responded by loving each other, God will be pleased. And if we go into this week doing that, God will be pleased. Because that's what he loves to see in his church. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please help us to love even as we have been loved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.